Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. Welcome back for episode 152 of the Freight 360 Podcast. We've got a monumental good episode today. We're talking all about prospecting. We get this question a lot. People say, my, my customer or my prospect is telling me that they only want to work with asset-based carriers. Um, we're going to peel back the layers on that one and really get into you know, prospecting and uncovering if this is real, if it's not, what you can say to them, all that good stuff. But uh, hey, if you're brand new here, welcome to Freight 360. Make sure to check out all the other episodes, share us with your friends, leave those reviews on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else. And we're glad you're with us, Ben. What's uh, what's happening in South Florida, man? How's it going? Yeah, it's still incredibly hot, but uh, excited to dig into the topic. I mean, I think it's one of those that often gets swept under the category of it's an objection, but we're going to dig into the reality of what it actually means, why shippers would say that, why they say it to get you off the phone, and how you can maybe overcome it and actually get to some. What was the question? Like real customers or better customers or quality customers, however you want to yeah. define it. Absolutely. Good stuff. I'm coming to you from Rochester, New York this week. I'm on the road. Um, home of the Buffalo Bills training camp and also the um, the Sabres farm team, the Rochester Americans. So, Did you get of- over to training camp at all, by the no. way? My son just went to the Dolphins one uh, yesterday or the day before. He was super excited. Had a great time. Oh, nice. Um, I did not. I've gone in the past. They So they did – they pretty much wrapped up the – I think they're fully wrapped up with the Rochester stuff now. They do it at St. John Fisher College here. And then um, they did like an open practice at Highmark Stadium. I, I feel like we changed the name of our stadium in Orchard Park like every year. But they did, they did an open practice last – I think it was last Friday, and it was – Bill's gear is back out on the streets in Western New York. I, I got to tell you that much. There's a lot of red, white, and blue flying around. A lot of number 17 Josh Allen t-shirts and jerseys and Stefan Diggs. And I'm starting to see the Von Miller gear pop out now. So I'm getting ready, man. So for sports today, all I want to hit on is the preseason power rankings, which this doesn't mean a whole lot because we haven't seen anybody play yet. And even during the preseason, you don't see a whole lot of the of your starters getting a lot of action in there just due to – you know, risk of injury and trying to get down to your 53-man roster. But the Buffalo Bills are starting off as the number one power-ranked team preseason here with the Rams right behind them in, in uh, number two. So I'm excited. That's awesome. the opening game. What's that? That's awesome. I mean, like yeah. you said, I mean, it's still early on, but it's really nice to see them kind of, you know, up there even oh, yeah. early in the season. You got Chiefs number three, Bengals number four, and the Chargers number five. So LA's got two in the top five there. Uh, but it's I like seeing the Chiefs behind the Bills just after that that upsetting divisional game last year. Um, Buffalo's just you know here I thought about it and I was like, you got to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which means you got to finish number one in the in the conference, um, and you get you got some tough games out the gate there. You got Week One on the road against the defending Super Bowl champs. The Rams in L.A., obviously, Thursday night opener, and then followed by week two, a Monday night game in Orchard Park, but hosting the Tennessee Titans, who also have upset the Bills numerous times in the, in the recent years. So 
Um, got to start off strong. Otherwise, it's going to be a little discouraging. But it's a long season. You've got 17 regular season games. Um, but I'm excited to, to track track what happens throughout the, the season here. But that's all I got for sports. I don't really know what else is going on other than the Red Sox. So I'm a fan of just can't can't seem to pull enough wins out. They're just, they're falling behind. They don't even, it seems like a wild card is going to be a tough one um, for them to even have in reach. And I will be in Pittsburgh next week to, um, to see a couple of the games against the pirates there. I think it's Wednesday yeah. and Thursday of next week. I'll be down there. So great stadium. Know. Grab a permani sandwich while you're there and an iron beer. Permani sandwich. In fact, there's two there. It's a mainly Pittsburgh sandwich, but there's two of them. It's like Buffalo wings. I mean, you know, yeah. as far as Buffalo is, but there's two in South Florida. There's one in Miami and there's one in uh, Fort Lauderdale. It's actually Oakland, but it's oh, where nice. they put the French fries, the coleslaw on the sandwich. And the interesting thing tie into our show is why that sandwich is famous is because the produce district in um, Pittsburgh that's yeah. where this restaurant was. So the truck drivers would come in at, you know, two, three in the morning to pick up their produce loads. And they would say, look, just put the coleslaw and the French fries on the sandwich. I'm just going to eat it while I'm driving. So that literally <laughs> became that famous sandwich because of truck drivers. Wow. And what was the beer called? Uh, Iron City. I don't even actually know. I think that company went bankrupt, but it was the Pittsburgh Brewing Company. Iron City okay. beer was always the... Uh, and Clark Bars in Pittsburgh. Heinz Ketchup, Clark Bar Candy, Iron City Beer, and Permani Sandwiches. Permani. I'm going to have, definitely going to get one of those sandwiches then. That'll be good. Yeah, we'll be there uh, two nights. My brother's getting married in October, so we're doing like a little guy's getaway. Um, so, yeah, it'll be good stuff, man. Good stuff. Finally, <laughs> finally getting into my new house, too. So, it's been a busy month of August, but. We're rocking and rolling, chugging along here. So let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT, and then we'll hop into the topic. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. And again, if you're adding to your license or adding another seat, use the link. We know a lot of you are out there. Yeah. We always talk to you after you've signed up. So. Yep. Yeah, people are like, oh, I didn't get a free month on my, you know, for my employees that I added on. Got to use that link. Get that free month. And yep. help support your boys over here at Freight 360. All right. So the topic. My customer only works with asset-based companies. Um, so I wanted I want to kind of zoom out here and talk about the role of a asset-based trucking company and what a customer or a shipper's goal is and why freight brokers are truly a necessity in that. So I think recently it was either in a coaching thing that we did with like TIA or some of our listeners or maybe on the show, we kind of talked about the bid, the bid process and how there's, you know, you might have a hundred different lanes that a customer has on their bid. And what you find out is that there's a whole bunch of them on there that might be called like ghost lanes or whatever. They, they're not necessarily a hundred percent there. You might have some very, very low density lanes where they might do one a month or something like that. Now you think about what does a carrier want? And we've talked about this a ton 
is an asset-based carrier, they want repetition, they want predictability, they want everything to be all good, right? They, they want to know where they're gonna be on Monday, where they're gonna end up on Friday. And that's where those predictable high density lanes that a shipper has are desirable for those carriers. But you've got shippers that they might have a load pop up last minute, or they might have one that's only once a month or something like that. And you're not going to have a, an asset-based carrier that wants to bid on those lanes, which is why a shipper really, really, really needs to have a strong relationship with at least a handful of brokers to be able to tap into that smaller spot market of available capacity when those pop up. Did I miss anything important there? No. And I think, I, I mean, just to go a little bit further on what you said, right? So you think of it from both perspectives, right? The shipper and the carrier, right? The carrier wants predictability. Why? So they can plan their weeks out, right? Like they need to know when the load's available so they know where the driver came from to pick that up so that they can connect the next leg, right? It's all connecting things, right? So predictable from the carrier side, but same from the shipper. But again, remember that like a lot of these lanes and some of these bids, like you pointed out, are like they, they might not even materialize, right? They might have, because the company has sales reps that have things they might sell, right? Customers that have said, We're, we might buy this. We think we'll need this much. We think we'll need 15 widgets, but if they only need 12, three of those lanes don't even come to fruition because literally somebody didn't buy that product. The other company didn't need as much as they thought of, right? And that's the thing with transportation that like, it is very unpredictable because it's all based on like consumer behavior or what somebody's buying or what somebody needs somewhere down the train. If somebody isn't purchasing those things exactly what somebody expects them to, those lanes just aren't going to be there. So if you're an asset-based company, to your point, if you're a trucking company, it doesn't help you because you can't plan for something that may or may not be there. And if you're a shipper, they want what? They want an idea of what that would cost in case it does. So they're asking for things that really aren't even there in the first place and might never be there. Yeah, they're maybes. And I want to add to that on the other side of the spectrum, maybe that sales rep sells twice as much or 10 extra. And mm -hmm. now, yeah, you might've had carriers that have committed to these, but they don't have the enough, they don't have enough trucks or the amount of assets even available physically there to dedicate. Well, that's the other side, right? Yeah, like in every other every other industry and the entire GDP of every country, right? Like when you buy more of something, you get a discount. In transportation, the opposite happens, right? If you have 10, 10 loads down the same lane, it doesn't get cheaper. It gets more expensive because every time you book a truck, there's less trucks to book the next load. Yep. You're creating a, a reduction in supply while increasing yes. your own demand, which Econ 101, yep. that's your that's your price going up right there. So yeah, it's it's a really important thing to think to think about. And you know, we've talked about it before that you know, oftentimes that traffic manager or whoever you're dealing with at a certain shipping company, they may not have been in the industry for 15 years, right? They they may be fairly new to this stuff, and it's on you as a as a good broker to be able to educate them about the market and explain certain things to them. Like, yes, in a perfect world, it would be great if your bid was 100% accurate and every single carrier that's asset-based that committed those loads never fell off, right? Never found a higher paying load, never broke down, never you, you had a driver quit, right? <laughs> that everything went super mm -hmm. awesome and was perfect. We never needed a broker, right? That'd be amazing. But it doesn't happen that way, right? That's why we see tender rejection rates in a healthy market around 10% and bad markets, 20, 30%. 
um, if not higher in certain lanes. And that is why it is extremely crucial and important for brokers to be there to, you know, in lack of better terms, kind of save the day, get that customer out of that pickle. Um, a lot, I know a lot of folks that they've landed a customer because they have saved them on a Friday afternoon or on a Saturday morning getting a truck book because the, whoever was committed to them before wasn't available or they didn't know this shipment was going to exist until that time. And it's, it's madness trying to get a truck last minute. But that's what our job is as transportation brokers is, is to connect these folks and get their needs met with the available trucks that are out there. And that comes at a price and there's margin built into it and you know all that stuff. But it's just important well, to, for your customer to understand how the market actually operates. Yep. And let's talk about a, a one other thing too, I think that's worth pointing out, right? Like another reason shippers, you know, will say they want to work with asset-based companies is asset-based companies, again, like they they at least have a better idea of getting what they're paying for, right? Like if I'm yep. working with Pierce and I'm working with the asset division, like I know your company's assets based on what I know about your company are new. You guys are buying them. You're only, you know, running your trucks for a certain amount of years before they're being replaced, right? I know yep. your driver training program is at a certain level, right? I know they have the right PPE. I know they have the right stuff. I know that like the cooling units and their, you know, and the trailers are up to grade or up to a certain level of standards. So I genuinely know what I'm paying for. I'm not putting a job offer up for whatever temp employee can fill that position right now, this very minute, right? So Correct. there's that piece. And there's also the piece that you have something on the hook. As a company, your assets are part of your company. Meaning if something goes wrong, I mean, I hate to say it, but like somebody could sue them and they know there's something behind it. That's yep. not the case with a brokerage. Like there aren't really any assets. Your assets are what's in your bank account, your tech and maybe a building or two that you own. But the reality is, is there's something behind that contract when I'm, you know, negotiating with an asset-based company. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, yeah, I mean, you put yourself in the customer's shoes right there and it gives you a great idea as to why they want to work with an asset-based company. Like you said, you're getting exactly what you're purchasing. Whereas when you use a bro you hire a broker, you don't necessarily know the reliability of that carrier that is going to be hired on that specific day for that load. Um, so it does present an obstacle for us as, as brokerages to overcome that. Um, but at the end of the day, like we said, we're a necessity for, for all those reasons that we just listed for the unpredictability and the un unavailability of certain carriers at certain times. Um, we need to be there to connect the dots and make sure that we can fill those holes where those needs are. And that typically tends to be about one out of our 10 shipments. Um, so at the end of the day, that's, that's kind of your big picture on it. Now let's well, go. I want to give one more note to the yeah. same point just before you go past that. Cause Dean pointed this out. Cause I, I asked him this last week or we were all talking about this and, you know, I said, what portion of lanes do you think for every, you know, average shipper are the types of lanes we're talking about? The ones that need flexibility, the ones where they have either less time or very little, they need to go to the spot market or they don't materialize at all. And like, you know, these guys that study this and, you know, up at MIT that do this all day long, they said it's like 30%. Like that is a huge number of the entire market yeah. that's just never really going to fit for asset-based companies because of the nature of the way they find out about it, and how much time that they includes, have. Is that including the um, tender rejections from carriers? 
I think it plays into it somehow. However, yeah. they figure out that math. I'm sure that they figure in the things that don't get picked up that end up in the spot market end up being classified as that. I would guess. I mean, we can yeah. ask them next time, but it seems like but either way, that's a that's a large percentage. You're talking Huge. about almost a third of all that shipper's business. Now, it is it is obviously the goal of a of a sourcing team or a procurement team or whatever logistics department at a company to minimize that number and make it more predictable, but it's just it's not the way the world well, works. Okay? And I wanted to go back to something you said like 10 minutes ago. Like oftentimes the person tendering the loads isn't really aware of this. A lot of times these people have only been in that job maybe six months to a year. We've had a huge labor shortage for the past few years that is now finally catching up. But a lot of warehouses and companies and shippers are understaffed, have people that haven't been there for five or 10 years, don't really necessarily understand the market, the things that we're talking about. It's our yeah. job as brokers to go back and this is the value add. This is what you're, you know, quote unquote, selling the shipper on working you with, is that you understand ways to help them that maybe they're even unaware of. Yeah, so let's look at that example, right? Maybe you have somebody that's new to the the position of traffic manager or whatever their title is. Maybe they've only been there for six months or three months. And they when they were trained, they were taught, don't use brokers, use as many asset-based companies as you can. Mm-hmm. So they just naturally, that's what they say on the phone is, uh, we don't use asset or we only use asset-based companies. Well, guess what? If they keep doing that over and over, they're going to force themselves to be that Friday afternoon where they gonna they find that they have to use a broker, and now it's two or three times the price when they could have paid on Tuesday. So I love that. Sometimes it's yeah, sometimes it's like a hard lesson to learn, and they won't make it again. Um, but and sometimes they just have to make that mistake, and that's why we stress so much that if you know when you get any of these objections, don't throw out this lead or this prospect and say they're not. You know they they told me no. No, you want to keep calling them back. Make those calls consistently because when the timing's right and you just happen to call them at the right time when they're like, damn it, I got to get this load out here or else we're going to, our customer is going to be pissed off and they're going to, you know, they're going to have a, pl- a production line shut down um, and then they could, they could lose their business. So, you know, yep. that timing is extremely paramount. So, and I'll give, and I want to, I just want to go through like a, like a quick example of how that plays out in prospecting, right? So like you call them the first time, no, we're good. We only use asset-based companies. So you ask some more questions. Hey, you know, and again, I get that they're not just going to be, you know, answering every question you ask, and it might take two or three phone calls to get some of these answers. But the reality is what you're trying to determine is, hey, are you having fallouts? Are their company, are their trucking companies not picking up the loads that you expected to? Maybe you learn a little bit, but maybe over three or five calls over two months, you find out that in your example, every Friday afternoon, they're recovering four loads. Every Tuesday, they're recovering three loads. Every Wednesday afternoon, they recover two loads. And it's every week. And you finally get them to start telling you, oh, hey, are you booking these with you know brokers or asset companies? Are you paying like fair market rates or are you trying to move these for as cheap as possible? Oh, you find out, hey, these are contracted rates and it tends to be with the same carriers. Well, maybe those carriers on those days, right, are finding better loads in the spot market. And they're just literally not picking the loads up because they can make more money there. Well, the ironic thing you is right like a now, lot last year, a lot. Yeah, a ton last year for the entire in the entirety of the pandemic. This was what, what was happening. That's why the rejections were so high. So when you're having these conversations, what you're trying to get them to get the epiphany, the light bulb moment on their point of view is that, hey, you think you're booking things cheaper and you think they are. But the reality is, is you're booking it with a company that is never fulfilling that promise. 
never picking up the load. And almost every single week, every single time of that day, you're rebooking them for the spot market price, which normally should be a little higher. So is the real cost what they thought they were going to pay or what they had to pay? No, it's like, what did what really happened? Oh, so you're really paying this? I know you hope to pay this and that's your target rate, but you actually have to pay this for the same loads going to the same places every single time during this week. Then like, just let's find the solution. I'll get your on time percentage to a hundred percent by you just not booking it with somebody that was never going to pick it up in the first place, which yeah, sounds simple, have, but that's how it plays they, out. Yeah. They, they might, let's say they have, you know, 10 loads a week in a certain, you know, a certain lane. And, and they're like, yeah, you know, we only pay, we pay a thousand dollars for this load. Yeah. They mm-hmm. might pay a thousand dollars for seven of them or yes. eight of them. But if the other <laughs> two three cost- just don't pick up for two days. <laughs> yeah. But if the, if the other two or three end up costing double, well, you're not paying a thousand dollars a load. You're paying like 1300 load 1300, on a- or right. whatever on average, because of those couple of outliers that had to come in last minute. So, and that, and, I mean, price is a whole different conversation. Um, but that's just the reality that you have to have them understand the big picture of what's going on here. Now, I want to talk about what, what does this conversation sound like when you're on the phone? So they might tell you, hey, we only work with asset-based companies. And a good rule of thumb, active listening, right, is to literally acknowledge what they've said. And it could sound something like, oh, that's awesome. You know, but you could, mm-hmm. you know, you can acknowledge that's awesome that, you know, you guys are only using yeah. asset based companies, but you could add follow on questions like, you know, let me ask you this or, you know, how reliable have your carriers been over the last couple of months? Are you seeing anything fall out that they have contracted or committed to or because of price or whatever? Or you could ask all kinds of questions to keep that conversation moving in the right direction and to pull more information out of that customer. Well, and and that's the reality. The reality is, is you want to ask enough questions to be able to start to get them to talk out loud what they're assuming is happening, right? And I think your example is fantastic, right? Okay, so you have 10 loads that are the same lane every Tuesday, just for an example. Well, every Tuesday, they like in your example, they might get six booked for $1,000, but the next three or four don't get picked up to the next day or the day after, and they're paying thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars, right? But again, there's this expectation that those were mistakes, and that what should yeah. have happened was all ten should have been picked up for the same rate because it's just psychology. Like, well, if I paid this amount of money for the most of them, I should have been able to pay this for all of them. This is what we mean by like, there's not economies of scale. When you get more of something in one lane and shipping, it gets more expensive. But oftentimes the shipper and the person you're prospecting asking these phone calls doesn't understand that, doesn't know what this means. It's your job to be able to get them to see that like the better way to maybe even do this or even to manage their budget would to be able to ship 10 over three days. Now you could probably get them all moved for $1,000 over a three-day period, right? But again, when you try to force them to happen in a shorter amount of time, like it's changing what they're actually thinking could happen. And the reality is, is it to your point, it never could have happened in the first place. That's not the yeah. real cost of it. Yep, for sure. Yeah, and people, they, they have to look at the big picture and see what the overall image of it is. And like a, a kind of a strange analogy that I, I like to use with this is like, think about when you go grocery shopping and someone's like, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I spend $200 a week on my family's groceries. And then you realize, well, I had to run to... 7-Eleven four times this week because, you know, they didn't have the orange juice I needed or I needed milk mm-hmm. or eggs. And then you, you're paying double the price there. And you're like, 
well, you didn't actually spend $200. You spent $275 because you didn't get everything all at once and you had to go to a more expensive place out of convenience and out of necessity, et cetera. So, yeah. And then, no, because to drive that, that example, I think it's a perfect one, right? Because then that person doesn't account for the fuel, the time it takes them to drive to the convenience store to get the higher priced item because their grocery store didn't have it because they expect them to have everything. But every time they go there, they never do. And then yep. they just don't add in the other trips, the other costs and the higher unit costs they pay when they go to 7-Eleven. Yep. You're absolutely correct. Absolutely right. So um, th- these are these are great conversations to have with your customer, though. And I, I want to reiterate, it's not always, it's very, it's very rarely ever all on one call, right? These are things that you're going to learn yes. as you build a relationship with a customer on the phone multiple times talking to them, right? Because you might call them and they're like, we don't use asset-based companies. And you're like, oh, that's great. Let me ask you. And they're like, I'm super busy. Click, right? Well, you didn't yep. really get anywhere then. All you found out is that, boom, they've given you that objection, but you haven't even been able to dig into it yet. Um, so these are, this is a really good reason to start writing down notes in your CRM and have have like your little cheat sheet of bullet notes or whatever list of when somebody says, hey, asset-based companies only, here's the eight to 12 talking points that I want to ask questions about or dig into around this specific um, objection, or if you want to call it that. And, and one, of my, one of my favorite ways to kind of overcome this, and I think, again, we're simplifying this to some degree, to your point, like you're going to have a lot of conversations. You're going to find little bits of this information through a long period of time. It's not going to be one conversation where your shipper comes to the conclusion and gives you the other five loads and goes, okay, fix the problem for me. It's you're going to have to build trust, move one for them, show them that you can do what you say, maybe pick off another one. And over a long enough period of time, you help them get a little more efficient in the way they're doing these things. It is not going to happen just like in one light bulb moment, obviously. Yeah. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, Had a customer that um, we had set up and it was it was a load here, a load there. This is as a broker, right? And they start to see that these loads that they can't keep carriers consistently dedicated on from their bid, they keep getting rejected or these ones that just popped up out of nowhere. They found uh, they found a true value add in, in us as a broker to partner with them to fill the holes for them. And with good service over a handful of months, we were then invited as a broker to bid on certain lanes that they had and that next bid cycle. And we didn't win all the lanes that we wanted to win, but as the year progressed that next year and we, we saw it coming because it always happens like, yeah, we didn't win that bid, but we did submit a price for it. And when carrier number one rejected mm-hmm. it and carrier number two didn't have anybody available, eventually it comes to us and there yep. we are. And now the beauty of that is we have a relationship with them where they, they know we're reliable and they're going to be more flexible on price. We already put our bid in on what that price was, but we don't even have to stick to that. If they need to get it moved, and we tell them, here's the option. If you want to move today, here's a truck that I can get available for you in within this time frame, and here's what it's going to cost. And if they don't have a choice, there you go. That's it. And that's where a lot of opportunities come from. So I want to, I do want to give an example, too, of a situation when the customer is telling the truth. Okay. And I have seen this before. Mm-hmm. If you get some of these short regional, maybe like they're pulling a couple pallets from a warehouse to their dock, or they're pushing some stuff from their dock to a warehouse until it's ready for its next move. A lot of times it's not a good fit for a broker because they they want and they need to use a small regional box truck carrier or something like that who they can quickly call in the morning and say, hey, 
can you guys get this moved here today for me? Um, and oftentimes they're very inexpensive and they're flexible on their time and they can sit there and wait until that local uh, cartage company or box truck, whoever it is, right? Until they have the availability to go sling a handful of pallets over to somewhere else. And in that case, that is when you start to find some of that stuff out with certain customers, you can disqualify them. They don't have the kind of business that I'm going to add value to. So there are there are certain mm-hmm. instances when that objection is actually a true reality and you should, you know, you should be able to use your intuition and understand why you're not a good fit to work with them. So. You're exactly right. And if you think about how those really come to, you know, come to fruition in the first place is right. Like you've got a local driver, you've got somebody that goes and picks up at that shipper, just like Dean talked about when he was a driver, he's like, you go back to that shipper and you go, Hey, I really like working here. Your docks were, you know, great to deal with, like your warehouse workers. I can be here every Monday. If you've got other lanes, you know, I'm willing to come and pick up your loads every week for a lower rate than you're probably paying to the open market. Because why? Because from a driver's point of view, there's less risk. There's not a bunch of detention I got to worry about. I know they're going to load me pretty quickly. I know that they're going to check me in and check me out pretty quickly. I know that it's all, you know, very predictable and in a way that makes it worth, from my point of view as a driver, I will make a little less money because I know I don't have to worry about any of these other issues, which we talk about on the show, like are expensive, dwell time and all these other things. They might save money too, because they don't have the empty miles that another driver has to dedicate 200 miles because the guy literally, field. yeah, starts his week because he either lives close to that shipper or delivers another dedicated load right in that neighborhood every week, right? So again, there are reasons why he's willing to take less and do more because he's getting more. Well, when you go to bid on these and you're like, well, how is my shipper or the guy I'm prospecting paying so much less than the open market? Well, there are always going to be lanes like that because those have been developed over years with guys that just ended up being a good fit for that that lane or that routing guide, right? Yep. So, so I, I mean, wanna, there are, yeah, to your point, very I, true I wanna, instances of add, why these exist. Yeah, I want to add one more um, thought here on this topic before we move on to an article we've got. Um, we talk a lot about finding a niche and becoming an expert in your corner, your your area or your portion of the freight marketplace. And when you can truly understand your customer's operation, how that industry works, the demand from their customers, the consequences if a load is not delivered on time, if you can get a full understanding of how that industry works and your customer works, it's going to give you way more insight into um, you know, why you as a broker is going to be an extremely, extremely important part of their supply chain. Okay. Uh, and you're going to get way better on the phone too. So we talk about having a niche repetition. You're going to start to pick up on things and be a lot smarter in a certain um, specific area. Understand what how your customer's overall operation works and not just their transportation and supply chain piece of it. So because those are the kind of, when you understand that, you can ask those consequential type of questions or whatever you want to call them. They can really lead to good conversation You'll learn a whole lot about them and build rapport with them. And you might be asking questions that they never thought about. And they're like, you know, no one else has ever asked me that before. I never thought about that before. So those are the kind of things you can do in your prospecting in general is, you know, the the whole point here is to gather information, keep that prospect moving in the right area with the goal of eventually you're, you know, you're the solution that they're going to want to give an opportunity to, to solve one of their problems, which is I've got this one single load right here on my desk that I'm trying to get moved out by Thursday, you know, go ahead and work on it. See if you can get that covered for me. So 
that's it. That's the that's my my big takeaway here is ask questions, keep you know do your follow ups and learn as much as you can about that customer. Uh, you got any last thoughts on the on that that topic? I want to talk about the, the Freightwave article here today too. But anything else you got? Yeah, on I'd there? say one of the one of the last things I wanted to add is historically the way people look at routing guides, and all a routing guide means is all of their lanes together, right? From a company's point of view, is historically they wanted to get as many predictable asset-based companies to take as many loads as possible. Because again, remember, if you plan for it, it should be cheaper. So they literally would refer to it as their routing guide breaking down. Meaning when one lane didn't get picked up by the asset carrier, it went into the spot market. Well, the spot market, when it's last minute, should be more expensive. It should always be more expensive to do something last minute than if you predict it. So there is, it's like a dirty word where like from the shipper's point of view, they're like, oh, well, if the routing guide's breaking down and we've got to use brokers, then we're paying way more money than we need to. There's waste. That's what it looks like. And that's why they treat it that way. But the reality is, is not only is that not even really true now, but it's the opposite because if you're a broker right now, the spot market is cheaper than the contract market. So all of those predictable lanes that they're bidding out and their loads are getting picked up on time by asset-based companies, they're paying more than it would cost you to get a truck. And in some cases, more than it would cost you to get a truck in the spot market and your margin. So you yeah. have one of these like unicorn periods of time where when you're actually talking to a prospective customer, you can actually get them something cheaper in less time. So yep. again, all of this boils down to asking the right questions and using the resources you have to try to find ways to solve problems that benefit both of you. Absolutely. I think we, I think we hit the nail on the head with that topic. So yep. uh, and if you guys have comments or more questions that you want us to cover on that specific Cut or uh, asset-based companies only uh, objection or conversation or not, let us know. Send us a message, send us an email, fill out the form on our website, and um, we'll definitely address those things. So we have an article here too that, Ben, you sent this to me the other day. This is interesting. So we talked about AB5 a couple of weeks ago. And remember, AB5 is the, the assembly bill in California that tries to identify what is an independent contractor versus what is a, a W-2 employee? And it hit a lot of these owner-operator leased drivers. And there's like 70,000 of them in California that are impacted by it. Now, outside of California, there was a case that was just settled. And the it, the actual incident or the time frame of the, the case was like four years ago. It was like 2018, 19, something like that. And it was a yeah. Schneider driver. Do you have it pulled up? Can you kind of run through yeah. the situation? So the and then I want to talk about it. Yeah, suit filed in 2020, um, a driver for Schneider between December 18 and August of 2019. Um, the decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals, but what it really does a very good job, I think, of giving an example of what I believe, you know, AB5 was meant to protect you know, workers from, right? In yep. this instance, to give you an example, that's what we were talking about right before the show is... I'm going to read you according to the recap. So according to the court's recap of the Brant, the Brant Schneider relationship, um, the driver and the company, the lease involved Brant leasing a relatively new freight liner and an operating agreement in which Brant leased the truck back to Schneider. So a lease back, um, what you hear to or you refer to if anybody's reading these articles, they're lease back agreements, right? And then in return for leasing the truck back to Schneider, 
got 65% of the gross revenue for the freight hauled for the company. The operating agreement also purported to give Brandt substantial control over his work and included a provision permitting him to haul loads for other carriers and hire other drivers to assist if desired. Said he should have retained sole discretion to deny him permission to haul loads for other carriers. Yeah, so it sounds like in the contract, it's not written terribly. Um, And I want to explain exactly what the the arrangement was there in our own words. So the, the lease back. So essentially, this guy, he doesn't have his own truck. So Schneider, the trucking company, will lease him a truck. So he physically has a truck to drive. And then he leases on, so he leases back his services to Schneider and in return gets 65% of whatever the line haul rate is for that. So what, what we don't know, and it's, you know, I, you probably have to figure out more about it is, does that include his lease payments? Out of, you know, is that, it? so basically does the 35% or the 65% that he gets, does he have to pay for his lease? Does he have to pay for all of his fuel out of there? We don't know. Um, but, you know, maintenance and all that stuff. What it comes down to then is it says later in the article that he had, there were weeks in which after all of the loads that he ran, I think he'd said it, he did like, he drove five week. times, he drove five times for 3000 miles during the week of May 2nd, 2019. And his paycheck after expenses was $0. Yeah. He had tried but, to end his operating agreement so he could haul for other carriers and was presented with a bill of security deposit that was so high he couldn't pay it and that Schneider controlled him in the manner of an employee without respecting his rights under federal and state employment laws. Yep, precisely. So what it came out to be is the the money that he was, the 65% that he was due, and then you look at he's got to pay for his lease and everything else, he ended up making nothing right, nothing. that week. And it went in, there's, we'll put a link in the show notes, but it, there, it, they break down in detail um, kind of what he said, where based on the, like they tell him in the contract, it's no forced dispatch. We're not going to make you take our loads. But when it came down to it, he like kind of had to, and he, they weren't even profitable. And if and he tries to get out of it and they're like, well, no security deposit. And if you can't afford it, then he is stuck. And because they, they went through this employment test of circumstances or whatever it's called, if they're dictating and controlling his his scope of work and what when he's working, where he's working, and all that, that's why the Supreme Court or whoever it was, the appellate court, um, favored on his side that yeah, they're treating you like an employee. Therefore, now they're going to be on the hook to pay for those employment tax, well, you know, or at the very least minimum wage. Yeah, like he's <laughs> you know, like yeah. literally netting zero, and they're like, well, this guy isn't even getting paid the federal minimum wage under this, you know, you know. Relationship Fair Labor or Standard Act or whatever it is, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, read, that's a good article, and I think what I hope what'll happen from seeing a, a case like this is it'll it'll give more insight to the legislation in California and any other states that may adopt a similar policy that you want to be as specific and narrow as possible in the scope of what your legislation of impacts and affects. So that you're not screwing the, you know, you don't have this collateral damage of all these other owner operators that really they're not in a bad position and they should not have to be impacted by legislation like that. So, yeah, that's my hope is that it it's a stepping stone to kind of give an example to protect the ones that should be protected. Yeah, that need it. And but not impact those that are not intended to be impacted. by. Yeah. It, so. 100%. Uh, What's up with our yeah, boys at Lean? 
Yeah, let's give a shout out to our friends over at Lean. So Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America. And recently they just announced some offices over in the Philippines too. So, mm-hmm. um, and those, the uh, staffing solutions include freight broker back office operations, accounting folks, your tech developers, business development, sales, marketing, customer service, a whole bunch of different positions out there. So to learn more about all the vast solutions that Lean has to offer for your freight brokerage or your agency, if you're building up a team there, check them out online. It's www.leangroup.com. Again, that's leangroup.com. We actually um, we were emailing back and forth with Gina today from Lean. We're going to get a, uh, a to-be-determined, uh, a, a really good episode and topic with them. We'll have them on sometime in the next couple months here. Um, so stay tuned for that one. That'll be a good one though. So we've got four questions today from our audience and this comes between forums on our website, people asking questions in our group and all that stuff. So let's get into the questions. Um, I love this first one. What do I do if my customer delays the delivery of a shipment by a day after my driver has already picked up and is, is in route? Uh, this happens, right? And th- okay. This could be, it doesn't have to just be delaying delivery. It could be changing the delivery location, adding an additional mm-hmm. stop. So what do you do? The driver's already picked up. They agreed to a certain circumstance. You sent them the rate confirmation, they dispatched, they picked up, and now you got to give them bad news. Um, so this does happen. And I will tell you that get ahead of this as soon as possible because bad news gets worse with time, right? So talk to your driver immediately. And then you also want to talk to your customer about in this situation, well, there's going to be a layover charge, right? If your driver has to sit there overnight and wait to deliver, right? They're going to want extra money for it for their time. And yeah. Oh, by the way, what if they have another load that they're supposed to go pick up tomorrow morning and it's 200 miles away, right? You're going to mm-hmm. be running into a whole big issue here. Um, so I would say definitely get in front of it. Talk to your carrier as soon as possible. But what you want to do is you want to act as a, a mediator between your customer and the carrier to make sure that your customer is able to pay whatever amount is necessary to make that driver whole and to make it right. What you want to avoid is the driver raking you over the coals, taking advantage of you, telling you, you know, I'm not delivering this unless you give me an extra $2,000, blah, blah, blah. You always want to be in a position where you're advocating for your carrier and not the one that's basically trying to screw them over and saying, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. So what do you, having, what do you guys pay? What do you pay? What do you pay layover? What's your standard? I think it depends. It depends. I would say probably 500 bucks if it's overnight, but it depends on the equipment type. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of variables that would go into it. Um, if you've got someone that has like an RGN or, you know, some kind of a special, I had that like, like two weeks ago. Yeah. It cost like, me like a G. Yeah. Cost me a thousand bucks to pay him. Mm-hmm. It all depends. We, I mean, we've even had situations where a delivery changed and the driver literally was already committed to another load. You've had mm-hmm. to, you've had to cross dock or had to do um, repower from another driver. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of circumstances that go into this, but at the end of the day, if your customer is the reason for this change and this inconvenience, they should be responsible to pay for whatever that the cost, a reasonable cost of it is. That's my yeah, take. and again, like the the sooner you can get to the dispatcher and the driver and let them know that the change has happened, the better off you are. If you wait until like the day of, it makes all of the situation worse and more expensive and more yeah. frustrating for everyone involved. Yeah, if you wait till the next morning when you knew that the day before, you know, yeah, the dispatcher for that carrier could be like pissed off and say, "Had I known this yesterday, 
I could have gotten another driver to cover this load that we had yeah. this guy picking up. And you didn't tell screwed. me. So, I couldn't, so yeah. now, now I'm in a bad spot. So yep. yeah, good stuff. All right, next question. How soon can I start brokering once my authority has been granted? Well, once your authority has been granted, everything else has already been done. You've had to go through your proof of your bond, your um, process agents, you've paid your application fee, you've gone through the protest period. At that point, you're good to go. You've got your authority, your uh, everything's already in place. So what I would caution you on is make sure that you are ready in every other aspect. Even though you can legally go out and start doing it, make sure that you've got a, some sort of a level of organization in place before you do that. So have have a basic CRM in place, have a TMS in place, have your phone ready to go, right? Don't don't be disorganized and just pull the trigger on something you're not ready to do. But yeah, you can, you can get after it right away once you get to that point. So, but good question. Um, we had, an, well, I'll get to it at the end. We had another, I'll add a bonus question in. Um, next question, how does auto hauling work for freight brokers? Um, okay, so there's like, there's really like two kinds. You have the small, maybe one or two cars on a flatbed. And then you've got like your, those big trucks you see going on the road where they've got like, you know, eight cars or whatever on them. And where I've seen some big customers in this realm is obviously you've got your, your car manufacturers, but rental car companies. Um, we had a customer in the past enterprise where if they got to reposition vehicles, they need to, you know, they need to get trucks like that in there. I'll tell you those, those big full truckload size auto hauls, they're super specialized and usually the, the carriers will directly control, you know, they'll, they'll be the ones that kind of control how that works. There's not going to be much opportunity for a broker in there. Um, There's a whole other market too. I have one of my clients just does this. And um, in fact, he lives really close to me. It was like 10 miles down the road in Pompano. And to your point, he does exactly that. Works primarily with, you know, the dealerships and people that need to move their cars. And there's an entirely different load board where the auto carriers, the auto haulers post their loads up and it works just like free dispatch. I think it's called central dispatch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It's this auto hauling load board. And I want to add to this too. So, People that get into the smaller auto hauling market, I want to kind of explain how it works. So it's somebody, let's say, we'll say Florida, right? We'll say it is um, springtime in Florida. A snowboard's going to go back up north to the northeast because it's too, it's way too hot down there, as you know. And they want to go enjoy summer in the northeast, right? So I got one car I want to move. I'm going to go, you know, put a quote request in through some website to get my car moved up there. What happens is these there's brokers out there, they will buy these leads and they will pay, they might pay 20 bucks or $25 for every single lead that they buy in hopes of, you know, closing half of them or a third of them and making $200 margin or $150 margin. Because what they're going to do then is they're going to try to find, let's say they get three of them that are going from Florida to the Northeast. They're going to hire a, um, like a hot shot or some kind of a smaller truck that has to pick these up, load them in the right order so they can be unloaded in the correct order. So when you go to deliver, whatever one's closest to the ramp is going to be able to pull off. So you don't have to pull two cars off and then get the third one off and then pull the R2 back on. Um, it can get messy, but that it's a, it's a pay to play kind of market in a lot of these smaller one-off hauls like that, where you're literally buying your leads because you're paying a, a lead generation uh, website to get them in there for you. Um, so that you have a chance to call them and be the one that they want to work with. So, 
Yep. I wouldn't a recommend lot of it. Also, a lot, of, a lot of referrals in there too. You can build relationships with some of the dealerships where you can do repeat business, especially some of the larger ones, the auctions, to your point. I mean, you can build inroads and relationships with rental car companies and do some more of that repeat. I mean, so there's potential, there's opportunity to be, I mean, there's money to be made in anything, but I mean- yeah, I'll add to that too. You mentioned auctions. There are, if you go to like more heavy equipment vehicles, like construction equipment and whatnot, like your Richie Bros and stuff like that, there will be brokers that set up a booth right at these auctions. So when somebody buys this tractor or whatever it is, they can go right to that broker there and get a quote on what will this cost me to get it delivered yep. from this auction site to wherever it's got to go to. That's another way. Um, all right, next question. Then I'll get to my bonus one. How, how do I get good customers? That's literally the question. We get this a lot, right? We've get we've had it asked in a dozen different ways. Um, there's not a good answer for this because it depends on where you are in your career because a good customer to you when you're brand new is not the same good customer as when you've been doing this for, you know, three or five years, okay? So you, get, you have to know where you're at. Now, if you're a brand new broker, which a lot of folks are that ask this question, you want the, um, it's probably going to be higher competition, lower margin, less risk kind of business that you want to go after. You might be working on load lists, things like that, just to get you in the habit of quoting and stuff like that. That's not a bad customer to get when you're brand new. You're not going to cover a whole lot of stuff, but it's going to help you develop those that muscle memory on, hey, I, I understand what this lane costs right now. If I talk to a driver, I understand what they're asking for and why they want what they're asking for. Um, so that, that's, that's a, a good rule of thumb. There is something that you can't, you know, you're not going to absolutely fall on your face and ruin your reputation off of, um, you know, with some of these easier customers. And a lot of times it's basic building material commodities, you, you know, your steel, stone, brick, lumber, um, you know, raw material type stuff that's, you know, can go dry van or, uh, untarped on a flatbed, stuff like that, where you're not going to run into a lot of claims or a lot of high touch or risk, but, um, you're also competing against a whole bunch of other people, a whole bunch of other brokers, and you might only make 50 bucks or 30 bucks or something like that on a load. Um, do you want to elaborate on the how to get good? How do I find good customers? The, uh, the only thing I also would say is, you know, my dad used to have this saying, it's like everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody, their first day of work wants to know how they can make high margin customers without having to go through the low margin customers. The reality is, is, one, you're likely not at the skill or experience or value add level to give them enough to get what you want. But also to your point, like you're gambling things that you don't realize you're gambling. And if you own the company, like you might make $600 margin shipping raspberries, but if you don't know what you're doing and you end up with a $45,000 claim, your six week in business, all those margins don't mean anything because there is no business at the end of it because you couldn't pay the claim and you should, I don't know, like you're going to lose a customer, prudently. you're going to lose money, you're going to shut your door. Yeah, it's yeah. like going to sit. It's like, yeah, you want to win the high stakes table at the casino. But if you don't have $50,000 to sit and play with everybody else, as soon as you lose the third hand, you get wiped out. So how much fun did you have anyway? It's really pretty similar, right? Like you're not yeah. just, it's not just margin without risk as the business owner, or even if you're an employee of a new company, right? Like these are very big risks that you're taking with the higher margin things. And if you don't have the skill or the experience to mitigate them, you're making gambles that you don't even know you're really making. 
Yeah, so customers to stay away from when you're brand new, don't dabble in hazmat right out the gate. Don't dabble yeah. in oversized or heavy haul or something that requires permits that you know nothing about or specialized equipment, right? Stick to the very, very basic stuff and you will learn the basics of transportation and brokerage. And you'll understand how the supply chain works and you understand how a driver's thought process works and how a shipper operates. And then once you understand those basics, that's when you can start to really hone in on a, on a corner of the market or a niche and become an expert in a certain area. So my bonus question here, I thought about someone asked this last week and I just wanted to bring it up on the phone or on the podcast here is um, so I, someone had asked me how um, they're a broker and it kind of ties back into our topic of wanting to work with an asset-based company. They're like, well, how can I become asset-based? Can I hire on a driver? Uh-huh. You know, can I lease somebody on Buy a and, trailer. Yeah. Can I do this and Buy call myself uh-huh. And And um, the answer is you need to have an asset-based authority to be able to do that. And that comes with insurance, which is not cheap for an asset-based company. Um, and you have to have a, like an actual asset to be able to do that. So um, there's not an easy fix here. And I what I'd recommend is get out of the habit of trying to sell as an asset-based company and get into the habit of projecting the value that a broker brings to the table. Because there's things that asset-based companies can do that we can't as brokers. And we just accept it, right? We're, we're brokers for a reason, right? And trucking companies, they're asset-based for a reason. There's things that they're good at that we're not and things that we're good at that they're not. So don't try to cut corners and find the one size solution that you know gets you in the door with a customer that requires you know to be asset based so i would say the yeah and i mean the only thing i would add to that right and when i get this question like i and it's something you and i talk about is what happens is is if you have one asset every load you broker now has to pay the insurance cost as if you were running it on your own equipment so it goes through the roof there's a very simple reason why you don't see every brokerage just buy one truck and call themselves asset-based, right? It's because their insurance expenses would go through the roof. And if you don't and you just lie, you can pay up to like, I think it's like $10,000 per instance of misrepresenting a company as asset-based when it's not. Plus, you're also entering yeah. into agreements that likely state your asset and that's a whole other can of worms. So, I mean, there's some People very it, legitimate... Man. They yes. do it all the time. They'll sign oh. carrier contracts as a as a broker, and you get like yep. there there are brokerages that they will they'll buy one truck, but it they'll register under its own authority, um, mm-hmm. and people will go and they'll sell as if they're asset based, and they'll sign a contract under that trucking company's name with the hopes of not getting. The yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous slippery slope, but. Good questions. Yeah. A lot of good, a lot of good Q and A that came in the last week. Here, we we really love when you guys are pushing questions through. Um, shout out to our friend and the group. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but he's been doing a great job at keeping it clean in there. One of the one of the newer moderators that came in a couple months back. He's been doing a really good job. Um, we're, our turnaround time with people being able to be approved to ask questions and post in there has gotten a lot better. Make sure uh, if you go to the Freight Brokers and Carriers Network Group on Facebook. You'll see you'll see the Freight 360 in the banner at the top. You'll know it's ours. There's about forty three thousand um, members in there right now. So join the group, interact. Forty. 
actually 44 on the nose, uh, 44,000. 44,000 even. Nice. 44,000 zero. Yep. That is outstanding. So, well, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, anything fun and exciting coming up? Ooh, I'm going to the TI Policy Forum next month in D.C. to go stop or try. The big push here right now is double brokering, right? So we're trying to you get in front of a couple of senators, and we're trying to really TIA does a good job of of you know lobbying and advocating for for uh, brokers and every everybody in the transportation industry. One of the hot ticket items right now is holding double broker carriers accountable financially for what they've done. Um, so that'll be a good discussion to have. Is there anything else fun and exciting coming up though? No, I'm anxious. I mean, you and I have been talking about that one. I think that one's going to be awesome to attend. Um, I think DAT has one coming up in October too. I don't have the details directly in front of me, but I'm pretty sure. Is it DATCON, I think, or something like that? They, got, they, they do a couple. There's all kinds of trade shows and conferences. It's tough to get to, especially when you got, you know, yeah, October 5th to the 7th. It's in Austin. Oh, okay. Well, nice. At least that's what it did say. And then it disappeared. Good stuff, man. Good yeah. stuff. Uh, preseason football. I don't think we even talked about it. The, uh, the Bills are hosting the Colts this weekend. It's funny when you look at like the the betting odds on it like they're so unrealistic because it's just preseason but it has like yeah. i think the bills are favored by like a point and a half or something like that but you won't even see like any real big names really playing a whole lot anyway so but it'll be good to see the boys back on the field i don't know who the steelers are playing but yeah i don't know i know they're running out training camp i think there's ends thursday at uh st vincent college up in you got uh, mitch trubisky i think now yeah. as your as your quarterback so he seems it i mean they're still they're still talking about um like how they're performing at you know preseason but i mean it's pretty much he's gonna be the guy i think yeah i don't think Ru- uh, um mine just went mason blank. rudolph uh, mason rudolph yeah is gonna all of a sudden go from third string to first but he's had a pretty good <laughs> summer from what i've been listening to <laughs> yeah yep well good episode man that's a good well, a good packed full episode full of all kinds of good stuff so yep any closing thoughts here ben whether you believe you can or believe you can't you're right and until next time Preseason, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.